0: Hi everybody, Steve Katie here at Bowling Green State University. I'm the director for the Doctorate in Organization Development and Change program. I also host the uh, symposia series for our doctoral program. Which Jake, thank you for making time to get and come and share with us. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. We also
0: have the All Things Change podcast series, so we get the word out and get your message out and share your share all the work that you've been doing with uh, with as many people as possible to make it accessible. So. It's uh, great to have you here. Uh, our doctoral program, as you know, Jake, is about professional scholars—people who are out doing really important work in the world and applying it uh, directly—all uh, concepts from organization development and change to help transform organizations, revitalize community, and develop human potential. And, and we're, I'm just really proud of the, the students we have in our program. The average number of years of experience are around 25 years' experience. We people with, you know. A lot of uh, industries and uh, places in the world and the country that are a part of our program. So, uh, your topics and your work is is timely and also very, uh, a very, of, of very much interest to our students and myself included. So, so it's really good to see you and have you here. Thanks for coming and thanks for making the time. Over so, to me. Uh, I was just pausing for you to say, "Cool, Steve." <laughs> Thank you so much. Cool, Steve. <laughs> and for all of you that don't know, Jake and I um, have known each other for more than 20 years and uh, we're good friends and we hang out and you know, all that kind of good stuff at times. We don't have enough time to uh, that we, uh, that I'd like to be able to see you. Um, but hopefully with the pandemic now behind us, we'll have some time to actually see each other face to face. Yeah. Uh, so the way we'll do this is, is I'll turn it over to you and. Um, and, and you just take us through your conversation and then we'll have some time at the end for uh, pending it. We could do a, you know uh, what do we hear, what, what our reaction, what questions we have, and then come back and talk to you, or we can just open it up for discussion. It will be really up to what sure. you, whatever you would like we can make happen uh, for, for everybody here. Um, uh, Jake is one of the most um, impactful collaborative change uh, professionals uh, that you will meet he's he's does the work in some of the most amazing interesting places uh and and challenges i mean things that you would think how in the heck did he do that um, i think of the illumination project you know particularly in your work uh, in charleston i know you'll bring up some of these stories but your stories are are um, um, both daunting and inspiring
2: no, I think
0: that the fact that you're able to make them do the work that you've done gives people hope that maybe they too can do the same work that you've done. Because I think in many cases, people might look at what you do, and, and this might be a, a just kind of a starting point for you as you then bring us into your talk. People might look at what you do and think, uh, I can't do that. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think I could do it. You know, right? And so I think your story and your work gives hope, gives encouragement to people that they too Can make the kind of difference that they yearn to make in the world that they want to impact. So you do that, you model that, you're an inspiration to me and many people, and uh, thanks for being here today. So I'll turn it over to you to share with us.
1: Great. Thanks, Steve. So uh, what that makes me think of, Steve, in terms of my work and and what I'm able to do uh, is I, I believe you all are able to do the work that you need to do. And that—that's really a question for each of us, and it's one that I continue to ask. Uh, uh, I've been doing this for 35 years now. Uh, Steve and I had the same mentor, Kathy Miller and both learned a lot from her. And one of the lessons that I learned was um, to find where your work is in the world. And what it needs to be, and where's your unique contribution? So, as you go through the program, I'm sure you already have done a lot of your work in the world, even before you started the program. But now the question becomes what's next? And what I'm going to be presenting today um, is hopefully a version of what you can take forward with you with what's next. So let let me start by sharing my screen and there are going to be chances for conversations as we go through this, um, as well as at the end. So this picture, which um, is behind me on my wall in my office, uh, I commissioned 25 years ago, and it is a picture of Archimedes the third century. Uh, bc greek mathematician so this quote of his was his way of describing the concept of leverage give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it and single-handed i shall move the world and as the stories go when archimedes was uh in his time they had competitions about moving boulders and archimedes was an older gentleman at this time he would sit on the sidelines and wait for the strongest men in the world to uh, be able to move these boulders and then he would wait until the very end and then he would walk slowly up take a small stone put it in front of the boulder get a log and with the power of leverage have superhuman strength he was able to move whatever size boulder there was and i had this chalk drawing commissioned 25 years ago this was before I was writing a book called "Leverage Change," which is my latest book, and um, but I always knew that leverage was important because leverage is about getting more done with less. And usually in organizations, those are dirty words. They are words that get used when you are going to have headcount reductions, or when you're getting more heaped on your plate than you can handle, um, or when there are budget cuts. And you're going to get more done with less in the world of leverage change that i'm inviting you into today getting more done with less. Is the best thing that can happen, because what i'm talking about when I say less are two things one. That you're getting it done with fewer hassles headaches and problems so that, in fact, the change work that you're doing is faster, easier and better, which ended up being the subtitle for the book. The other thing that I can promise you with entering the world of leverage change is that you will use fewer resources in the change work that you'll be doing, which is in a lot of ways a holy grail in the world of change. Um, You won't find a leader who will disagree with you when you say, I can get that done faster, easier and better and with fewer resources and the reason I can make this claim about fewer resources is because you'll spend less time spinning your wheels there's less unproductive work done in the world of leverage change. So this is what the symposia is about today and faster, easier, better change results. And I want to emphasize this results I had a whole chapter that I wrote in the book on results because you see faster, easier, better change on the wrong results will just sink your ship sooner. And what I'm after is getting smart results that are the answer to the strategic issues facing your organization, and then being able to apply leverage to achieving those particular results. These are three of the books that I've written. The first one, Real-Time Strategic Change in the bottom right, has a subtitle, How to Involve an Entire Organization in Fast and Far-Reaching Change. On the bottom left that I wrote with Dick and Emily Axelrod, some of you may be familiar with uh, that couple who's just recently retired, um, but has a stellar career in the field of OD, and Julie Beeden who's from the UK, equally uh, accomplished, is called you don't have to do it alone how to involve others to get things done and those two books when you look at them have one thing in common and all of my work in the world has one thing in common um as steve said i've worked in all kinds of organizations on all kinds of change efforts um the one thing that ties them together uh the thread is it's about engaging people In creating their collective future so in a lot of times you would look at work that i've done, and it would be difficult for you to believe that the same guy was doing that work if you watch the roadmaps if you watch the tools, if you watch the approaches. um, they're all very different but they're all based on one of the levers or what I call smart strategic actions in the book called design it yourself. And so I partner with organizations around not only the work that they're doing, but how they're doing the work, so I believe that each organization should design its own change effort they're unique and they should have that uh, right and that responsibility. Let me tell you just a brief story about how I got into this work, because I was uh, doing research at the Institute for social research, which is at the University of Michigan I was uh 21 years old and i was working on a research project that uh involved uh mental health centers and them providing substance abuse treatment and the question was 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 this an effective way to go and the national institute of mental health was sponsoring this and the way it worked is i would fly around the country to these clinics and I would do case studies. So I would interview uh, clients, and I would interview staff. And then I went back to my hotel room, and I would write up the case study and move on to the next city. And if you're 21 years old, getting on a plane is like really cool. I mean, they gave you peanuts, Diet Cokes. I mean, I thought I was living the high life. Now, not as sexy, but back then it was. One afternoon, I was in Buffalo, New York, and I was interviewing the executive director of this mental health center. And it was late in the afternoon and she had blinds on her windows. And so you can just imagine kind of like the sun coming in. I was tired. It had been a full day of interviews for me. And uh, I asked her a question about her work and she sighed and she looked out the window and she said to me, do you see that group of people on the corner? And I looked out the window and I I did, I saw a group of people on the corner and I said, yeah, I, I see them. And she said, well, that's where our clients go to get high before they come in for their substance abuse treatment. And I just sat back at that moment with the sort of disdain that this woman had for the situation and her frustration with it. And I decided at that time that I couldn't be a researcher. That I wasn't going to be satisfied writing up a case study the next day, and moving on to the next mental health center that I needed to get my hands dirty with what the work was, and um, however difficult it might be. But for that staff, and for those clients or think of them as customers, uh, and that executive director that leader, that I needed to step up in a different way. And that was 35 years ago, and so I have a lot of stories of work i've done a lot of places, but when I answer the question of how did I get into this work and why it goes back to buffalo New York and that late afternoon session. This is one of my best thinking places I wrote the book. Um, during COVID, although it wasn't meant to be written during COVID. I started it in January of 2020. And one of the best places that I do my thinking is out at this field. You can see it's about a half mile long. That is my co-author there. Uh, He sat on my couch next to me as I wrote the book. His name's Theo. He's traipsing around in here uh, as I speak. And um, uh, it's a Frisbee that I'm holding. So one of the best things that I did is I actually walked that field and thought about what the book needed to say and where I could come from with it. In fact, my, my partner and everything I call her, Amy, I said to her, I said, this, this book has been so easy to write. One chapter I wrote in two days. And she looked back at me and it felt like she kind of took the wind out of my sails. And she said, well, you're just writing what you already know. And I kind of smiled and I looked back and I said yeah actually you're you're right about that maybe that's why the book is so easy to write plus, of course, a great. A a great co author, so I have a question i'm going to ask you to put this into the chat where are some of the best places for you to do your thinking. And it might be when you have papers that are due for Dr. Katie or the program, or it could be in your work setting. But type into the chat where are some of the best places that you do your thinking? My car, my car, running, walk, right?
0: I have a dry eraser uh, marker in the bathroom for when I'm after jumping out of the shower and I start writing on the, uh, the mirror uh, in my bathroom. I've, <laughs> I've, heard,
1: I've heard of people, well, this is clearly a, an OD person because I've heard of people talk about um, in the shower on this question, Steve, but never on a dry erase board. Um, oh, no, not dining not erase board. room I, at I, 2 a.m. Right, there's just a dry erase marker on the mirror. Oh, on the, the mirror. So you can put it right on the mirror Even even better. it's funny
0: the research shows that that's where the best some of the
1: best ideas happen yeah the middle of the night um on walks listening to music writing in my office in the morning sometimes the golf driving range if i'm not too frustrated right Right. so we all have these places where we do our best thinking and i'm i'm a big proponent that we stop by and visit those places often Um, because what i found is a a kind of clarity around what became eight levers, each of which addresses a common problem that my clients have experienced. And I heard these problems for 35 years, and so I wrote them down and then identified a lever or an action that could be taken that would address that particular issue or problem three of those I'm going to cover during today's session, because there are eight, I'll cover three of them. And then both in in the book in an online program, there are a number of ways you can find out the other eight, um, including signing up for some consulting time with me, um, which is a, a free gift that I'm going to be offering later in the session. So what is the purpose, right? Steve will tell you, if he hasn't already, that purpose is the cornerstone of all of our work. Um, and we also learn this from Kathy. Um, I wake up somehow knowing exactly what I need to do. So that's great. That's the that's the subconscious mind doing our work for us, Kelly. That's That's the best. So what I want to do is introduce this approach, but there's something unique about this approach. I'm not here to tell you a different way to do your work. I'm not here with another eight steps or five phases or any of these things. I used to do this work and say there were three areas to cover scoping possibilities, developing and aligning leadership and creating organization wide congruence. And I said they were iterative and they were areas to cover. They didn't have to be steps. Now I think I've taken a step forward from that and said, what I'm interested in doing is making the good work you're already doing better. So, this is not about changing what you're doing, it's about supplementing it. And by supplementing it, it's about turbocharging the work that you're doing, making it faster, easier, and better. So, I've got two outcomes for our time today. One is that you're excited to use this new approach that you're going to hear about. Um, I actually had uh, one person in a session actually jump up and down, so that's why the picture came in so excited to use it and then also surprised and surprised at how easy it is to integrate into the work you're already doing. Right, so if we come away with this session with you having that excitement and that surprise and that you know, a better way to do what you're already doing for me. Will have been successful so where do we start let's get a little context right this is something that has been put up on more presentations and discussed by more people in the world of change probably than anything else that people will all agree with is that organizations today are facing more and more change and i just went on the web and pulled out a few things that are on that list and i you know i look at futurists and read them often and one of the things that they all agree on every year a futurist will come out and say there are more changes coming in the next 10 years than there have been in the previous 100 so this is this is not new information but i think it's important context for us because our clients come to us with frustrations about that did senior leaders have frustrations about that? I hear three of them in particular. One, that change is too slow, that we need to get this done sooner. One client said to me, by the time we implement these changes, they'll no longer be relevant. Another, too hard. So here we've got a guy trying to push a boulder without a lever, not, unlike Archimedes did, and the change is just too difficult. Um, it, it's hard to get across the finish line. Um, and then the last one is too disappointing. I found this picture of a Pooh Bear lookalike, a Doppelbanger, uh, Sisyphus, right, pushing the boulder up the hill, and too disappointing in the sense that they don't accomplish what they set out to accomplish. Now, I've done research on this, and there, there's a generally accepted number, but there isn't hard research behind this that says 70% of change efforts fall short of the mark of what they set out to accomplish. So it's too disappointing. And what I'm going to do is ask Matt if he can pull up a poll for us now to see if these are common things that you hear, whether you hear them from clients or your own experience. It can be your own experience all the time, most of the time, some of the time, or none of the time. And if you can just answer which one of those best fits for you. Steve and Matt, you should feel free to play along as well. So what it looks like is you hear and experience some of the same things that my clients do. I'm going to invite you to write into the chat if there are other kinds of things that frustrate you or the people that you work with. Because most of the time or some of the time, basically what we're saying is, yeah, these are issues. And they need to be addressed, and the question is how does leverage change deal with these issues, so if you can type into the chat if there are others that I missed out of this list of three because there are a lot of frustrations uh, type in what some of those are for you, if you have them. Too many changes right so being overwhelmed by the amount of change and I actually debbie one of the levers we're going to cover deals exactly with that issue, not enough time to devote to the effort right so. um, One of the levers that I have dealing with um, people having too much on their plate right, which was another thing that i'd heard. Right. Just get it done. Don't learn anything, but just finish it. All levels of the organization were not included in the decision. Well, once you finish with Dr. Katie's program, none of you will ever have that problem again in the world of collaborative change and competing agendas. Right. So there are different things that need to get done. Where does this effort fall on the list? And you're studying cognitive biases, right? Comfort with status quo risk aversion to change right so there are levers to address each of these Um, and and most don't engage the um, people. Um, You know there's that saying that people don't mind change, they mind being changed. And so, helping people, uh, people own what they help create is another watchword that I go by um, in terms of how do you make sure that you engage people. So. We've got a lot of models and you've learned a lot of models i'm sure in the program and you will learn models in the program. Um, I know that this is just a subset Ah, flavor of the month this too shall pass and matt if you can take the poll down that'll that'll be great um. I keep taking it down money. and
3: it and it keeps popping up. So I apologize. It keeps popping
1: up. All right. Well, maybe, maybe really wants us to see those results. So these these are different methods. Now, some of them that you may be familiar with will go around the outside of this, which are um more uh recent models that have been brought up. Um Keith McCandless with the Liberating Structures, Bob Anderson's leadership circle profile, Harrison with open space, Marvin Sandra with Future Search. Um, all of these are good models. And I, I believe we each have favorites that we go to. And, and they've worked with us and for us, which is why I'm saying I'm interested in making a good thing better. So I was faced with this question when I went about leverage change which was how can we provide even more value, even more to the work that we're doing? And I came up with, yes, there is a way, and it's this concept of leverage. So what I'd like bringing in your ears is what is the power of leverage? How did Archimedes get that superhuman strength? And he got it with smart strategic action, small things that have a big impact. That's the definition of leverage so i'm going to ask matt to put up this handout again if you didn't download it the first time i'm going to ask you to download it now. and make sure you have this in front of you, and you can see, as it's on the screen, there are common problems identified on the left hand side and then specific levers that address them on the right hand side. So what we're going to do is focus on three of these to begin with. Um, too much change, which came up as a problem that uh, got typed in, and paying attention to continuity is a uh, lever to address it. Change takes too long, and think and act as if the future were now is a lever that addresses it. And then people reject your change approach because it's not invented here. So they have an issue with the approach even before you start dealing with the change itself and design it yourself as a lever for that so we're going to get into more detail on the levers and what those mean. What we're going to do first is what I call a rapid response consultation here's how this works i'm doing it so that you will see the levers in action. You will see me in a five minute period do a consultation with somebody from the audience somebody from the group and here's how it goes. You pick any situation that you want and you give us a two minute briefing and i've got a countdown clock so you give us a two minute briefing. On your situation who's involved, what are the issues what's your role in it, whatever you think we need to know to be able to do a good job in helping you and then i'll have five minutes. To try and help you where i'm going to use the levers and the goal is one breakthrough idea one idea that leads to faster easier better results and the way that i'm going to entice somebody to type the word me into the chat which is the key the first me is your volunteer is that i'm going to send them a signed copy of the book leverage change so the first person who types me will be our volunteer, and I'll ask you to send Matt privately the address to which you want that sent or the email if you'd prefer to get it as an ebook.
3: Kelly, thank
1: you so much.
4: Okay, I'll, uh, let's see, I gotta do this in two minutes. Um, All right. So let me,
1: let me get you started. I'm going to start with the timer. Okay. Okay. Go for it.
4: So, uh, I just transitioned into a new role where I'm
1: serving as an internal consultant. Um,
4: and, uh, one of the things I'm doing is helping out with, um, our strategic work planning for this year. And I'm with a, um, a multi-state nonprofit and, um, um, working with them to set goals for the year, which aligned with a strategic plan that was done, you know, three or four years ago. And what I'm discovering is that there is a high degree of burnout and stress. Um, we've had an enormous amount of turnover in the last 18 months, and we provide consulting services to other nonprofits in facility expansion. That's pretty technical work. So... Um, It's difficult not to have institutional knowledge. um, And uh, it's difficult for the organization to generate revenue with so much turnover because the positions that have been leaving are client-facing positions, which are the the positions that essentially are are working on the projects, which are bringing in the revenue. So there is this sort of dual challenge of enormous transition um, and uh, vacancies and you know onboarding and this pressure to achieve our revenue goals so um so i'm sort of in the middle of this process i sourced ideas from the middle of the kelly
0: kelly could you move
1: your microphone it's somehow hidden
4: okay can you hear me now
1: yeah i can hear you well enough it's a little faint but keep going okay sorry
4: so I'm in the middle of this um, sourcing. I, I uh, convinced the senior leadership. Um, uh, the senior leadership agreed that we should source the ideas from mid level mid level leadership, and we've been having a lot of open conversations, which is very appreciated. Um, and we're at the point now where we've split into teams to um, tackle our action steps for the goals that we've identified. But the goals are in in many cases competing with each other.
1: Okay thank you i'm going to go on to the next slide that's great thank you for that kelly and now here's how the rules go for the rapid response consultation one of them is i get five minutes and five minutes only Um, we could finish earlier if you feel like you've gotten a breakthrough idea or or more and you're ready to um, close up shop interruptions, I'm gonna ask for your permission for me to go ahead and interrupt you. And the reason is because I I only have that five minutes. So if you're heading in a direction and I wanna go in another one, I'm gonna beg your forgiveness on the front end, say I do have manners, I do know what correct uh, behavior and social circumstances are, and I only got five minutes. Everybody else, I'm gonna encourage you to take notes and hold your questions. Take notes on what kind of questions am I asking, Uh, What kind of answers is she giving? Where did you see any shifts in the work that we were doing? Um, What questions do you have for me or for Kelly about the work that we're doing? And I've got five minutes. I'll go to work. Kelly, the rule for you is you don't have to answer any question you don't want to. So if something makes you uncomfortable or there's something that's Uh, confidential then you just hold on to that and say pass and we'll move on to another question. Fair enough? Sounds good. Okay and if you can sit as close to the mic as possible that's going to help because if I can't hear the answers that's going to increase the degree of difficulty beyond what I'm going to be able to handle. Okay? Okay. All right, that sounds good. All right, so here we go. So Kelly, first question. Um, what do you think the issue is that you're trying to resolve?
4: Um, gosh, that's a really good question. Uh, I think I'm trying to do two things, um, help facilitate a plan for that we can all feel good about and all feel like we can be successful in achieving. And I think uh, what's important um, within that is that the um, the team uh, helps to craft that plan, and they feel like it's realistic.
1: Great, it's achievable. Next question. Next question. Um, have you had changes in the past that have been successful in the organization?
4: I'm uh, just joined the organization in November. I have had changes in the past in other roles that have been successful.
1: Okay. Now um, i'm going to make suggestions as well that's where the ideas are going to come from one of them is to actually ask people in the organization that question. When have they had success with change, what are the key ingredients, what is it about change in this organization that works. i'm going to ask you, based on your own personal experience with change if there are one or two things that you know, need to be part of this effort as ingredients for success.
4: um. I have not asked them what has been successful in the past, um, and I think I could think about doing that related to some of the particular sort of um, goal areas
1: that we're working okay. on. Okay. And what about you? Do you have one or two things from your own experience
4: um, that have helped to make change efforts successful, successful? Change. Yeah, I think. Um, Uh, making sure that everyone is included, um, providing different types of ways to um, be included, Um, uh, so giving people a chance to provide their input anonymously for those folks who need more time to process information or less comfortable speaking
1: up. So, here, Kelly, is another idea, which is before you even deal with how to, you know, what the change and how to make this successful, I think you could open it up to the whole organization about successful ingredients for change, right? So, like how you change even matters before you start to make the change. And so, if you know that engagement is important and doing it anonymously, figure out ways to do that. Um, there's another question that I have about what success looks like. So, when this has been completed and it's done well, what's one or two things as images that would come clear for you that would tell you you'd been successful?
4: I think um, so. We we started our conversations with what the success looked like for us, and that's where we came up with our goals. But um, just given the complexity of the current environment. Um, as I shared, you know, I think because of the um, movement in the labor market that has impacted our. Our uh, high um, attrition rate. um, And that, uh, yeah. So I think, as I shared, some of our goals uh, compete with each other. So, you know, some of our goals are, you know, spending a lot of time on learning and development. And that might compete with our revenue goals where we want to focus our time on deliverables that generate revenue. So I think what success would look like for me and the effort would be coming to some place, some middle ground where we can agree.
1: I'm going to jump in really quick and suggest that we have a conversation about something called polarity thinking, which is about paradox. And what it says is is that more of one thing and more of the other is actually a better answer than conceding on both. And I can actually set you up with a model and a tool to use for that. But these competing issues actually have tension, and that tension can be used productively. So let's put that on a to-do list. Um, one other thing that I've got a question now about is um, what would you say the purpose is of this change effort itself? What's the reason for doing it?
4: Well, we we want to be successful. Um, uh, you know, where we sort of um, have our plans correspond with our budget years, and I think we want to be successful in terms of meeting our financial goals. Um, and we want to reduce attrition uh, and increase, you know, s- staff satisfaction, so that we right. Will so one last thing I would
1: suggest. One last thing I would suggest, which is to break this down into into stages, so that you can celebrate success as you go, rather than taking it as one large effort that you have to get done in order to be successful.
4: I like that touch at the end. Sorry? I like that touch at the end, the applause.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you earned it. You earned (laughs) it. Thank you. So now I've got a question, which is, first off, um, for you, how did this go?
4: It was really helpful. Um, I have been exposed to the polarity conversation just recently through the doctoral program, probably in the last six months or so read an article or two on it. It's very intriguing to me. Um, uh, I can see the connection, but not fully. Um, yep. But I'm interested in the connection between what right now feels like competing goals and and how can we look at that from a strengths-based approach rather than a, um, you know, how can we look at this as an opportunity rather than a problem? Yeah. Um, so I'd be curious to think about that more. I don't know that I know the answer to that but um, I'm interested in that.
1: We're gonna do a little work on that, Kelly. So not right this moment, but you'll have an opportunity to sign up for some time on my calendar. We'll be able to do some work on that. Was there any um, new ideas that you got that were helpful?
4: That was one, um, that's a big one. Uh, celebrate small successes we've been having that that bubbled up from the team so um and then the other one was um making sure to involve people that's something i'm thinking about right now is is maybe expanding our teams um to include um not just mid-level management but to include some of our client-facing um
1: professionals yeah great um now i'm gonna open it up to others and just check in and see What, if anything, did you notice uh, in the uh, notes that you were taking or in the conversation that we were having? Anything come to mind for you in terms of it?
3: All right. I'll break the
4: silence,
1: Jake. So maybe somebody will say something else. I think the um, observations you made after the various positive questions were all very open. The word I used in every note was open. Um, open to the others in the organization, open to both sides in
4: polarities, um, open to breaking up the steps.
1: Yeah, and, and Carol, what I would say is for me that openness goes back to choice. Correct. And, and choice is empowering. Yep. So More options. One of the things that, that I think is true about leverage changes mm-hmm. is that the, the most powerful position is actually the first decision you make about how to go about making the change because from that point in time the degrees of freedom begin to narrow, right? So as soon as I say, these are the people who are gonna be involved in this way, here are the people who are not, or here are the people who are gonna be involved in this way. Here's how others are gonna be involved. As soon as that decision gets made, that decision now is off the table. You've made it and you're moving on. So what I'm looking to do and what I was doing during this conversation was looking at how do we continue to open that picture so that there's more choice for the organization there's more choice for people there's more opportunity for people to claim more power in the effort itself so carol i think that's spot on anything else that people notice before we move on All right, we move on. So what we're gonna do is look at three levers in a little more depth. The first one is pay attention to continuity. Now this deals with the issue of too much change. And how does it do this? Well, it's a paradoxical approach to change. So those of you who read an article on polarity thinking and my buddy Barry Johnson's work. This this will make sense to you, but I hope in a different way than you thought about it before. When we deal with change, that's what people talk about. Uh, people who write books, that's what they write about. People who speak on change, that's what they talk about. And all of that leads to anxiety. Uh, 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 conflict sometimes, resistance. Like there's all kinds of things that come along with change. There are some people who love change, but they're few and far between. And an organization's change usually hasn't been done that well. And so people take cover or as somebody said in um, the chat, you know, this too shall pass. So paying attention to uh, continuity is the opposite pole of change. So what does continuity bring us? Continuity brings us confidence. It brings us conviction. It brings us experience. It brings us past successes. All of these things are positives. And what they do is they help as the other side of the coin to change. So I would even argue that if what we're doing is paying attention to change and we're not paying attention to continuity, we're only dealing with half of reality. And if you're only dealing with half of reality, you're not gonna be making good decisions, not strategic decisions. And so I've had leaders actually take this into very practical terms. There was one leader I had who said he got this in his gut, and he said, now when he asked people about change, and this was a guy who was a big proponent of change, and the bigger the proponent of change you are, the more mischief I think you're gonna get into if you don't pay attention to continuity. So he started to started conversations with people by saying, well, what is it we're doing really well that we need to keep doing? And this for me is different than appreciative inquiry, because what we're doing is looking at both the changes, and we're also looking at what to continue. So it doesn't mean that you can't talk about what's not working, but you're going to leave that in the past as you move forward. And continuity can be What are the things we're doing well? Continuity can be in a change effort focusing on your core values because that's something solid and continuing in the organization. And so rather than just looking at this change in a small view of, well, we're gonna go do this differently and implement this new technology, how do we implement this new technology in line with our values, right? What's the mission of the organization and how is that going to be supported by this change that we're making, even in memos in uh, town hall meetings in conversations in the hallway leaders all have opportunities to pay attention to continuity, and I would even go so far as to say, if you want radical change. Then you've got to create what I call radical continuity. As much as you want this change is as much as you need to pay attention to continuity. And this is based on the polarity thinking that Barry has done, that you've read about and that I mentioned, um, because you need as much on one pole's effort as you need on the other pole. So pay attention to continuity, one of the three levers we're going to cover. I want to pause and just see if there are any ideas or inquiries that you have based on pay attention to continuity. Is there anything out there that folks would like to talk about or ask questions about?
0: Could you speak a little bit, Jake, to the notion of Lewin's work around unfreeze change and refreeze, which I there's been recent writings that have suggested that that model is fine. Just the words unfreeze and refreeze, you know, might be changed, might be modified. But there's a lot of this three-phase process. Yeah, and you kind of apply this or re- react or reflect on how this might be enacted as someone thinks about the, the larger scale.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I as- would, I, I, Steve, I would probably amend Kurt's statement. Unfreeze change and continue refreeze so the concept of change alone is is what i'm arguing against it's what i'm saying is is not the whole story and as long as we're only paying attention to change right we're missing the boat and missing possibilities for people to feel confident and clear and conviction, Um, those are things. And and the other thing is, is that, you know, most things continue being the same, even in the most radical change efforts, the amount of things that stay the same are much greater, right? If you make a list and I've done this with clients where they make a list of all the things that are gonna change on a flip chart and you can see people hunch forward, their voices lower. I mean, they get depressed in the room. So if you then say, let's make a list of those things that are going to continue as we move forward, but this time make the list twice as long, people sit up, their voices rise, like there's energy that gets back into the room. So for me, I would say Lewin or Levine, as uh, Ron Lippett used to call him, that he had the right idea and that the conversations people are having about are the words right or not, I, I think I would be more interested in adding a word than I would be in revising the existing words. Any other questions or comments on this? Pay attention to continuity. We got a quiet group here. Yeah, Nicole.
4: Yeah, um, so you were talking about the core values um, and within change, is it then kind of like that core values are the continuity through the change?
1: Yeah, so core values I'm talking about are organizational core values. And those are going to remain the same in the organization. So if I tie my change effort to something that's continuing, I'm going to have less resistance. I'm going to be reinforcing what we already have said is important in the organization. And my argument is that you're going to end up more successful because you're being true to who you are as an organization. So even saying, how do we go about this change in living our core values? That simple question alone will make a profound difference in how people approach the change because they know that some things are going to be staying the same and that you care about them, that they matter, and that they are going to count when push comes to shove. This is not about throwing everything up in the air which sometimes is what it feels like for people.
4: I do have a follow-up question real quick. Yeah. So um, core values, a lot of times institutions create these and they throw them up on a website and this is what everybody's supposed to follow, but really there could be a separate set of core values that maybe are being held by the people that work in that institution. So is there a way to align those to actually help you through that change?
1: Yeah, so I, I would say, Nicole, a couple of things. One. We should be doing that core value work right from the beginning. Okay, so it's like if if you had six people identify the core values for your organization in your collaborative change program you would probably know that that's not a good idea. But let's say that we did our best, and there is this separate set of behaviors that people live that might not be part of the formal core values, you can change the question to just be, how do we do this change work in a way that's true to who we really are? And if I talk about who we truly are, I'm going back to the DNA of the organization. And I, I believe in living systems theory. So I think that these organizations are living systems. And when we talk about continuity, there are past behaviors, there's DNA in every organization, which is why I was asking those questions of Kelly to say, Have you had success in the past, and how have you changed there and then I said well she didn't know well ask people they'll know. they'll be able to tell you and even at that level of asking that question you're engaging them and you're engaging them remember I said. The earlier in the process you engage people, the more powerful they are so if i'm asking you questions before we even roll up our sleeves to go to work on change. Now I've got you way upstream in this process. And part of leverage change, where leverage comes from is moving things that would normally occur downstream back upstream in the process. So decisions and and choices are made earlier than they typically would because once you get downstream, again, those choices become limited, right? Your options are less, your power is less and your leverage is less. You know, leverage can work against you too. So, if you can imagine that I've got this boulder and I've got my log, if I put my stone at this end, it's actually harder to move that boulder. If I put it closer to the boulder, it'll work for me and it's easier to move that boulder. So, you got to be smart about having leverage work for you instead of against you. Any more?
2: Hey, Jay. Yeah, Perry. I'm in <clears throat> cohort three in the in Dr. Katie's program. I really love your continuity concept. I consult with higher ed and healthcare, which tend to be averse to change sometimes. And I do I, I think this idea of continuity is much more acceptable to um, these two industries where they build off their strengths. I work with Stanford Medicine. They did amazing things at COVID. They're now introducing COVID instruction into the School of Medicine because yep. it was proven in the clinical side. And I would say this program, which builds off a master's program that's been successful for 45 yes, years. Yes, exactly. Evolving. And um, I think that's the correct approach, at least in these two industries, I often use a bold leader. I go to level 11, like Spinal Tap, and I take a board or a group through. And usually that zero to six range is a, deals a lot with continuity and less and less moving forward. But I think if you can... <laughs> get someone that wants to be at two to get to the level of four or five six or seven it's it's a win and so i think yeah it's, it's, and the it's more fun. and
1: more david that you pay attention to continuity you may pay attention to continuity i mean i've worked in systems where the first month of work has all been about continuity right and 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 and, and people trust you you build rapport you build trust you build wisdom you know you know what works and so therefore you build that in to the work you're doing going forward and and you're just smarter i'm not doing this to trick people i'm not arguing this so that it's like well there's a fast one really we're really going to focus on change but i'm just keeping you busy here with this continuity conversation there's value to be had there right and extracting that value and then using it so that people can visibly see that what they're saying is getting integrated then there's a lever that's called develop a future people want to call their own and that one deals with the whole resistance movement because if it's a future that i want to call my own and i've had a hand in developing it i want to be part of that future i'm not resistant to that future i want to choose into it because i can see that i've helped develop a place for myself in it
2: yeah and i think it draws on continuity also is defending your ground right it's sort of like if you're good at this someone can eat your lunch a competitor so don't neglect exactly to build upon your success and preserve your leadership so i really appreciate you sharing that concept thank you
1: great all right let me go on to another uh another of the levers so the next lever that we're going to deal with is think and act as if the future were now i think this is the most unique of the levers And it goes back to this fellow whose name is Stan Davis and those of you who knew of Tom Peters, who is still around. um, But he wrote in search of excellence when he says you've got the book of the decade that's saying something. And what Davis said, and this was in my master's program at Pepperdine when I was writing it, um, I read this, he said, we need to learn to manage in the future perfect tense of the verb now. If you know your grammar, which I looked up, right, the future perfect tense of the verb is as if something had already happened. So if I think and act as if the future were now, which is a lever that deals with speed, it accelerates the pace of change. So what that means is that I have to have some image. It doesn't have to be the whole future figured out, but some image of the future. That I can grab hold of and bring back into the present and think and act as if that future were real, then I can start living my future today. Hey, Jake, and, I
0: got a question. I got a question yeah. for you, real quick. This is really powerful. Two things. Could you speak to the power of uh, Future Perfect as a group uh, publicly makes, come, becomes aware, like in the change formula, becomes a publicly aware and makes a commitment? and makes that commitment in future perfect tense and also writes it draws it or in some fashion the power of writing or drawing that future perfect
1: yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely steve so for me a lot of people talk about visioning and ron lippett who was our mentor's mentor Uh, invented something called preferred futuring, which you guys may have heard of from Steve. And this was about going into the future. And Ron used to talk about take a balloon trip into the future and look down from the future and see what better looks like. And he actually did research against problem solving and he discovered that this image of, you know, moving towards something that you want is a much more effective means than fixing something that's broken in the present. What this lever does, I believe, is it takes it the next step. So not only are we defining what that future will look like, and not only are we planning for that future, but what we're doing is we're living the future as if it were in our present. So our behavior changes in the moment So, for example, I had a client who spent the morning with the executive team trying to deal with this sales issue. And at lunch, I said to them, look, you said you wanted a more participative culture. If we were living that culture right here and right now, who else would be in this conversation? And they made immediately a list of people, including people from that region who were on the sales team who weren't in the original conversation. But in the future, being participative, those people would have been in the conversation. Now, they had a three-year plan in place to become a more participative organization. And culture change is supposed to take years. I don't buy that either. I think you can start to show evidence of culture change by snapping your fingers if you think and act as if the future were now so what we did is we got those people they, they actually were going to have those people come to the next meeting and i said no no if we're going to live our future today let's get them in the room after lunch and they were like well they're not all in the office and so there were all these like reasons why and i said do they have phones can we get them on videos like how do we get their voices in the room for this meeting, and they grabbed the people in the office, they got the other ones connected electronically, and they had a meeting in the afternoon. They came up with an answer that nobody had in the morning. They agreed was better and led to better results, led to growth in that sales region. So the difference for me about visioning and thinking and acting as if the future were now shows up at the behavioral level about it. And when I said to Kelly, I was I was asking her questions. Well, what do you know about the future? What might it look like? And then how might you take one aspect of that future and put it into the present? And then you can take another aspect and another aspect. But what happens is that people start to look left and right in the organization and they see people behaving differently, they see change taking hold. So if I'm resistant, and I say this too shall pass, And my colleagues are behaving in the new way right doing business in new ways it's very difficult to continue to say this too shall pass when before my very eyes, the future is appearing. And that is different, so what I say is, most of the time we look at the present and then we define the future right people often in in even in retreats they talk about um, what's you know working and not working today. And then let's take a look at the future. What I'm saying is I would suggest you start with the future, get an image of what that looks like, and then bring it back into present day behavior. And that difference of putting it into behavior is where the difference gets made in terms of the speed of change. I don't have to wait years for culture change. Any evidence that I have that I'm living that new culture, I start getting credit for it and I start taking chips off the table like in poker, and then I start playing with house money, I get the advantage of those changes already as soon as they occur, rather than putting in place some three year timeline and saying, well, we've got vision 2025, and success looks like achieving it by 2025. I'm not satisfied with that leverage change would tell you that you can start achieving that future much, much sooner. All right, we pause again. Any thoughts, questions, or ideas about think and act as if the future were now?
0: What, what is what is your favorite comment you've gotten from somebody who has been doing change a lot, has models, has stuff, and, you've, and they've complimented their work. What has been your favorite uh, email or something that surprised you that, that really told you you're on the right track with your work.
1: Yeah. So my favorite comment is, wow. So I got an email from somebody, Steve, um, just last week where their wow was around how fast things changed. So I've got a story in the book about a leader who was having trouble with a direct report and this person was on the way out she was the marketing director it was a transit company she was on her way out and i introduced this think and act as if the future were now and said and you know the team didn't like her either she was definitely in trouble and i said to the leader i said well how would you treat this person if they were your mvp if they were adding the most value that they could how would you treat them and they had a whole list of things that they would do including giving them more challenging projects and all kinds of stuff and so I said, all right, well, let's think and act as if the future were now. Let's start doing some of those things. So we called this person in and she thought she was calling getting called in to get fired. And what we said was, look, here's this lever. This is what it means. This is how we're gonna live it. And so you now have the most challenging project in the group you're in charge of and she was shocked because she thought she was going to be shown the door what happened was she stepped up in a whole different way the level of support she got from that senior leader was a whole different way the team respected her in a whole different way and what we found i went back the next week i went back the next month that this person's behavior and that their performance Improved dramatically from this very notion of thinking and acting as if the future were now and you could say well that's a form of self-fulfilling prophecy some of that is but i think i go back to that future being present today and having that leader treat her as if she had already been the most valuable member of the team so i get these stories in particular around this lever, because it's the most unusual. People are not used to thinking and acting as if the future were now. It's a different way of going about things. And I still don't really understand why Stan Davis in 1985 wrote this book and more people did not understand and apply this because of its power. And this works in your personal relationships too. I can tell you my partner and everything, uh, and I have conversations all the time. And she tells me what she wants from me. And, you know, we vision, we do visioning. And then I'm like, okay, well, what of that could we live today? Or sometimes she says to me, hey, Jake, if you were living this today, what would your new behaviors be? And I'm like, okay, well, let's go to work on that because I can see what they are. And rather than working towards them or putting a plan in place to achieve them, just start doing them.
0: Yeah, and that, that goes like a quote that comes to mind is walking the door to a room as if you got a million dollars in your back pocket. Say more. I- Well, you know, sometimes people say, you know, hey, I'm a little uncertain. I'm a little uncertain about what I'm walking into, the group of people that I'm going to be walking into. I'm a little nervous. And just walk in that door as if you are a wonderful success. Walk in that door as if you don't need a thing. You have all your needs met. You have a thing in the world you need. Walk in that door like you got a million dollars in your back pocket. And it just shifts the whole energy of of the experience in the room.
1: Yeah, and and then even drill down for me to the behaviors. So what would you be saying? Who would you be talking to? What kind of questions would you be asking? Because the more concrete, the better, right? Because it helps people make that leap, because this is a leap, these levers. The other thing I want to point out is they're all paradigm shifts. None of these cost you time, money, people, they cost you a new way of thinking. So to think and act as if the future were now, I don't have to go get more resources to do that. I just need to start thinking and acting in that future version of myself or my team or my organization. So let me jump into our last lever that we're gonna cover. Design it yourself. So this is one where I said earlier I don't believe that organizations should get stuck using somebody else's process. Even if it's a good process, they should have the right responsibility to define their own purpose statement, their own outcomes, and their own roadmap. Now you may go back and say, you know, we had a really successful effort in the past. Go back to it. Take the best of that best. It may even look Very, very similar to what you do this time, but you've had the option and the choice to examine it to be able to decide what does better look like. And if you haven't had success in the past, then even more reason that you should design it yourself, so when i'm saying to you make a good thing better you've got models that have worked for you that's great i'm a big fan of that and you still have this responsibility. To be clear about that purpose outcomes and roadmap and that roadmap can shift and change over time so i've had a lot of uh, work that i've done. Where we've changed course because the realities have changed if i'm designing it myself, I have ready permission to make those course corrections. Right because they are about getting where i'm going so short learning loops or short cycle. Uh, Rapid prototyping is what my manufacturing clients call it, you go after something, and then you tack quickly so that you're never far off that straight line between where you were and where you're going. So those short learning loops you continue to ask this question, how are we doing, where are we headed, are we doing this the way we need to be doing it, is there a better way we should approach this next step, all of that gets mapped out as you go and before you go so again i'm not arguing against planning i think you should have that roadmap clear and i think you should have the freedom to make adjustments as needed so on this one are there any thoughts or questions i know steve with the collaborative change work that he's done with you has probably been a big proponent around purpose and a big proponent around what those roadmaps look like. In fact, Steve, I know in the master's program, people have to design their own methodology. I don't know if that's true in this one as well.
0: Well, their dissertation becomes their methodology. It becomes an evidence-based exploration of the area they wanna be a thought leader in. And so our whole focus is on um, the difference between masters and and, uh, uh, doctoral level is doctorates Uh, create knowledge, produce knowledge by writing it up and disseminating it in academic, professional, and popular arenas. Right.
1: Right. Uh, So that's right in line with this lever. This is about taking ownership for your own change effort and having the organization take ownership for its own change effort. So a lot of times a, a, a consultant will come in and you say, well, we own what we help create, but they have a fixed approach that the organization's supposed to follow. And so again, the earlier in the effort, people have choice, the more power they have. So if I step back and I say, wait a minute, who should be involved in this work right now? even deciding the design team, because there are design teams for events and there are design teams for change efforts. So even deciding who's on that design team to design the change effort is one of the most powerful positions to be in. And so stepping back that far into design it yourself is one of the key aspects I think that is empowering to organizations and to the people in them. Anything else on this one?
0: Well, let me know when you're ready to wrap up, so I can give some closure for the for the day.
1: All right. One thing that I want to do, Steve, before I close, is to go to a um, a slide, a couple slides. One of them is, um, uh, "What did I learn today?" So one of my hopes was that you were able to apply something. That you learned, and so, if you can type into the chat what is it that you can apply immediately that you learned today if you could answer that question, what would it be.
3: Right begin to act like the future state is now balancing the change with continuity.
1: Bringing an aspect of my future into the present. Great, Daisy. These are, and these are things that you can do without, I mean, tomorrow, this afternoon. Also, the other thing I wanna say is this approach applies to individuals, teams, and organizations alike. So, my prior work had been with large systems change. This opened the door for me to be able to say for individual coaches, even looking at what you're gonna do in the afternoon. These levers will apply, so I have a couple of offers that i'd like to make into what you. um, What else you can get one of them is there's a free ebook that i've got you can go to my site it's a download. And it's about 27 ways to make your change work faster, easier and better immediately so they're very concrete actions that you can take three or four for each of the eight levers we only went over. three of the levers. So the other five have ideas for implementation in there. And of course, the book will have the other five in a lot more detail as well as the three. Another thing that I'd like to offer you is an extended version of what Kelly got. So 30 minutes on my calendar. If you go to this bit.ly link, or if you hold your phone up to that QR code, it'll take you directly to my calendar. And you can schedule in 30 minutes for us to work on whatever situation you're dealing with. And I'd like to give that as a a gift to you and as a thank you to Steve and to Matt for having me. And then if you wanna learn more about Leverage Change, There's a book companion program that's all online. There are different things that are available. We can talk about that if you sign up for the 30 minutes. But again, my interest is in making sure that you're able to take this and do as much as possible to improve as much as possible of the work that you're doing. And finally, one last statement that leverage is very powerful that that superhuman strength i go back to archimedes is available to you just like it was available to him steve i turn it over to you right wow that's what i'll say thank you for your um
0: just lots of really great content a lot of great ideas a lot of inspiring stories and um, i'm super grateful so thank you jay
1: my pleasure steve and um if you have any other questions um of course uh or insights i'm here i think we've got till half past if we want it um and if not I encourage you to sign up for that 30 minutes that we can get a lot done in terms of advancing your knowledge and your application, because both of them count the application and being able to take this and use it. um, Even in a meeting that you've got scheduled coming up or a conversation with a colleague that you're going to be having um, or a report or a document that you're creating all of these levers will work in all of those ways as easily as they will a system-wide change effort that's two years long that is about integrating two organizations with 37,000 employees they've been used in that setting and they can be used in yours as well
0: awesome so thank you and you'll be speaking with us again, in our cohorts and our students as part of the All Things Change uh, webinar podcast series coming up. And I'll put the link in, in here uh, for anyone. And then we're sending it out broadly to people. And uh, you can see that there. I sent an email to you so you can share it with your network. I'm really glad you're part of that. I was absolutely inspired by the generosity of everybody that um, offered to come and speak within 24, 48 hours. It was
1: Yeah. Well, it's inspiring. a great opportunity. Um, I'm going to be posting that on LinkedIn. I encourage all of you to um, connect with me on LinkedIn um, and you'll see that advertisement show up there as well uh, this week, Steve, because I want to get the word out as well.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And next Saturday, this is a spontaneous invitation to you because you're local. We'll be um, doing a residency with our doctoral students and we'll be uh, doing what I call the Iron Chef of Collaborative Event Design on Saturday. And we have a client like chef. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's a really it's a it's an intensive design experience that you and I have experienced and done in other training programs that are part of like you know the old uh, models that uh, Lipit and Dana Miller have done and and others. Um, it's a modified version of of those and adapted. We have a really amazing client coming in that has a major need that's really relevant, and they don't know who it is, and they get they get the secret ingredient that day. Um, and they work in three teams to design, pitch the design and in a fishbowl, the best design is picked and then following that, we take the best of all the designs and uh, follow up with a pro bono project that they work on to deliver the event. That's great. It's really great. I,
1: I think that's just terrific and, and being able to get your hands dirty with real work takes this from like an intellectual pursuit to something that makes a difference in the real world in the community, so yeah. I, I think that's great.
0: Right, and so it'll be next. It'll be Saturday here at the College of Business uh, at Bowling Green State University, and we'll be doing it on Saturday. You're more than welcome to pop by for the day and play fun coach with them, because the three teams will be working, and you can pop around and just give little suggestions and maybe be a little bit of uh, support to them if you want and if it fits in your schedule. Saturday's open. Pop in and say hi. Um, and uh, otherwise, um, I'll be following up, and we'll be talking later. So. You know, from from here with all things change and Bowling Green State University and the doctorate in Organization of development and change and the inspiring and great work of our students who are going out and taking their thought leadership into the world uh, in, in really many different ways. Uh, I'm, I'm really grateful to you, Jake. Thanks for being here. Thanks to everybody for being a part of today. And we'll be seeing each other soon. So bye for now. Thank
2: you.